we just sang something convicting, didn't we? Oh, the, oh, the pure delight of a single hour that before Thy throne I bend, and with You, O oh God, I commune as friend with friend. And I have to think, when was the last time that we spent a solid hour just on our knees communing with the Lord? Is that convicting to anybody but me? Uh, study the other day, I said, okay, from 3 to 4 o'clock, I'm just going to get down on my knees and I'm just going to spend 3 to 4 o'clock in communion with the Lord. And I spent... Uh, if you'd have come into my study right then, you'd have found me asleep. I, I fell asleep. Yeah. So you guys want to go to another church now, don't you? You want me to go to another church? I get it, yeah. Uh, and, uh, and so tonight, why is it that we don't find an hour with the Lord, such a delight, really. Why is that? When I was a youth pastor, we had a Christian school at the church where I was a youth pastor, and we had a basketball team, and we had a soccer team. And, and I remember that the pastor was out of town, and he said, you're going to be in charge of the prayer meeting, and you bring the message. And I said, okay. And on Tuesday night, I went to the basketball game because, you know, that was where the teens were, and I was a youth pastor. And it was a snowy night. It was a very, very snowy night. Very difficult to get around. And there were 200 people at the basketball game. There was another basketball game on Thursday night. And it wasn't a really good night. But there were over 200 people. Just crazy. Stayed late at the basketball. You know where I'm going with this, right? At the basketball game were 200 people. Guess how many people were in prayer meeting? Yeah, not many. 25, 30 people. Two little old ladies, you know, made their way out. And uh, everybody else was, of course, you know, busy. They were busy. So I thought about that a lot as a youth pastor. I thought, you know, kind of thought prophetically about that. Why don't people, why do people like basketball more than they like God? You know, why is that? Or maybe it's maybe they love their kids more than they love God. Or maybe it's I'm being legalistic and judgmental. Uh, you know, all the above may be true. But as I've thought on that, you know what? The conclusion I've come to is this. When God manifests Himself, when God manifests Himself, prayer needs get really popular. And people want to meet with God. And, and they, they, they go out of their way to have extra prayer meetings. And prayer meetings get long and nobody minds it. And, and if pastors or Christian leaders try to make that happen and they try to make you feel guilty and they try to... That's not the appropriate, really... That's not really the appropriate way for us to fill a prayer meeting or to get people to seek God. When God moves on people, people will move and people will change and people will be saved. And then that will be a pure delight when before the throne of God I spend an hour and then it is a pure delight. Now, when I hear stories about that, I just my heart just gets thrilled. And I've been kind of immersing myself in some of these stories. Years ago, we had in, in a church where I served a, a godly older pastor, Pastor Clyde Athman, who uh, was uh, kind of retired to our area, but he wasn't really ready to stop serving the Lord. He's still doing that, as a matter of fact. And he was pretty old then, and that was a while ago. And so the church was able to pay him part-time and was able to put him on the pastoral staff. And he was he did a lot of uh, calling. And uh, he was in our pastoral staff meetings. We prayed together. And he often did funerals because he was really close to people that were close to having funerals. And, uh, and uh, we had a talk one day. And 
I thought of that talk this week as I read again and listened again to the accounts of the revival in the Scottish Hebrides Islands, the island of Lewis off the west coast of Scotland. Pastor Athman told me that one of the principal preachers in that revival, who always when he talked about it said, I did not bring revival to the Hebrides. It came before I came. But God principally used him after the revival had touched down on the island of Lewis and the Hebrides. Pastor Athman said that Duncan Campbell, this, this pastor, this Scottish pastor, had been invited to speak at Wealthy Street Baptist Church in Grand Rapids, which at the time was like a flagship regular Baptist church. And David Otis Fuller was the pastor there. And I was a boy. My dad went to seminary there. And I saw, I was there when Doc Ketchum preached there. And uh, Duncan Campbell was there. And Pastor Athman was a fairly new Christian. And he asked after one of the services, could we get together. And Duncan Campbell said, I would like to have a brisk walk with you and, and uh, I'll meet you at such and such a time. And they strolled through East Grand Rapids and Pastor Athen, with a kind of holy awe about him, recounted the time that he spent in an entire afternoon in East Grand Rapids, Michigan, walking with Duncan Campbell and Duncan Campbell telling him the story of how God came down in the Hebrides Revival about 1949 to about 1953. And there was this incredible revival. There's just no explanation for it, but that God was uh, was moving. And it shut down dance halls and it shut down sporting events and it packed churches with penitent sinners and people got saved. A lot of this stuff that we work really hard to make happen and organize will never happen until God comes down. But why do we say God comes down? Isn't He already here? Why does the Bible say it that way? Oh, run the heavens and come down. It's like, I'm already here. Is God not omnipresent already? Isn't He everywhere present? So I don't want to, I want to talk to you before we approach the communion table. We have a little, we'll have a little family business. This is what we're going to do tonight. I'm going to talk for a while, no more than two or three hours. Um, that's bad humor. Then, then, then we're going to uh, go to the communion table. Um, and then we have a bit of family business I need to talk to you about as a church tonight. And then we're going to uh, close in, in prayer. And then we're going to do an old tradition of the church, a beautiful old tradition of the church all over our nation and around the world and throughout the history of the church. They've done this tradition. It's just a sweet little tradition. It's called the right hand of fellowship. It comes from the book of Acts. When you want to welcome somebody into a local church, they come in to the front and then everybody files by and you give them a warm handshake. And in that handshake, you're saying to them, I'm covenant, covenanted with you as a brother and a sister in Christ. I was thrilled tonight when I saw the choir. There were two, I think, two new church members in the choir. And my heart was happy about that. Were you happy about that? Wasn't that sweet? So we're having the right hand of fellowship tonight. Right? Such as a bluegrass song. Have you ever heard it called the right hand of fellowship? It is real bluegrass, people. I'm not sure you would even like it. It is so blue. It's the right hand of fellowship. Very nasal, wonderful song. <laughs> We're going to have the right hand of fellowship without the song tonight. And then, then we're going to go home and watch the Packers beat the Steelers. So, it's going to happen after that. All right? All right. Uh, all right. Well, these are some questions that have come to my mind. Why is there so much widespread unfaithfulness in the church? And why is it that the church is so weak to hold so many young pe- of its young people? Why is it that there is so much immorality in so much worldliness among professing 
Christian people? And why is it that we all feel the tug of that on our souls? Is it possible that God has withdrawn His blessing? God has withdrawn Himself. You say, well, no, no. Are you sure? Because when you read in this book, and when you read in the books that have spilled through history about when God has not withdrawn Himself, but then when He has manifested Himself, things happen like people get saved and people get right with God and uh, holy living becomes something that people are interested in not fussing about all the time, you know. People love the Bible. They want to pray. And these things become, there's a popularity, if you will, to them. I uh, love to read the Puritans. I love to listen. I, to, I've mentioned to you some of the accounts of revival in this last few weeks. I've, I've been, God tugged me over to listen to, I'm like working out or driving to hospital calls and listening to accounts of revival by people who have been involved in revival. And they make me real thirsty. And they make me real hungry. And this occurred to me that a lot of what we try to organize, we try to find a new method for, or a new system for, we don't really need to waste, spin our wheels with the new systems and the new methods and, and all of that. Not that if something's new, it's not necessarily bad. I'm not saying that. What we really do need to do is we need to go down on our knees and, and be honest about our circumstances and where we find ourselves and ask God to bless once more. And to manifest Himself once more. In this church and in our families, our families need this. We don't, it's not just an option for us. I don't think it's an option for us. I'm saying people we love are going to go to the world or they're going to go to hell if we don't seek God for a visitation, a divine visitation. It's not optional. You, you want your, your children to thrive spiritually and I want mine to thrive spiritually. I don't think that's necessarily going to happen unless miracles happen. And how do miracles happen? You can't organize miracles. You have to pray them down. And we have the means of grace in the Word of God, but we're kind of enamored with the, uh, you know, with the other stuff. What's this person doing? Or that, you know, that, you know, that rock star in the Christian world, what are they doing? Instead of, well, let's go back to the things that God promised to bless like simple things like the Word of God and prayer and repentance and confession and self-searching before or allowing the Spirit to search our hearts for anything that's not pleasing to the Lord and seeking God for personal revival and returning to prayer as a church. You know this is right. You know this pleases the Lord. Imagine we're not here tonight. Just God is listening in. What would please Him? Wouldn't it please Him to say, God, we're going to do this, that, and the other thing, and then you're going to be really impressed and you're going to visit your church? Or would He be pleased to say, we're just going to wait here and we're going to ask you to bless this. And we're going to pray and seek God. And then when you tell us things that are amiss, we're going to draw nigh to God. You see, this is what I want to talk about here. And when I was listening to Richard Owen Roberts, he said something, and I want to give him a credit for this. And, I, and then as I studied it, I found it in the writings of the Puritans. Stephen Charnock has written a great deal about this. And it's that distinctions in the way that we talk about the presence of God. So let me just share this with you as an appropriate way to approach the communion table because communion is about cultivating and seeking God's presence or in the sense of God manifesting His presence to us. Is God present everywhere? Yes. Is He present in hell and heaven? Is He present in church and a bar? Good question. Yes, He is. In, in heaven, he, he, He's present in, in delightful magnificence and glory and radiance and, and pouring forth continually His goodness. In hell, He's present in His holy and just wrath. He's present everywhere. 
this grieved presence in a, in a club or, and, and, yet, and, and maybe even in the church sometimes. If God promises a special manifestation of His presence as people gather in His name in sincerity and that He works in a special way. And through the history of the church, many believe that God manifests Himself in a special way in a time of communion. Not all Baptists are into that. But through, through the, the history of the church, many believe that when people obey God in communion and they practice the ordinance that God gave to us, that He manifests Himself in a special presence. He's sovereign. He can manifest Himself any way He wants and any time He wants to. And we do believe this is a memorial supper that we're approaching here. But if we approach God with a hungry heart, it is possible to cultivate the presence of God. I want to show you these classical distinctions about the presence of God in a little PowerPoint here. You can see them. There is the essential presence of God. You see this in, in the Scriptures in many places throughout the Scriptures. Charnock, he's a Puritan, he's wordy hundreds of pages just on this, one thing after another. In, in the, but, uh, but Jeremiah spoke about it succinctly, as the Scriptures often do. In Jeremiah 23, 24, Can anyone hide himself in secret places? So I shall not see him, says the Lord. Do I not fill heaven and earth, says the Lord? And who of us is not thrilled when we, when we read Psalm 139? Psalm 139, let me just read a portion of Psalm 139 to you and think about the omnipresence of God. Where can I flee from your spirit? And where, uh, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand will lead me, your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely darkness will fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and light are both alike to you. God's essential presence everywhere is an absolute fact. He's present everywhere, always has been, and always will be. This is His essential presence. And Christian believers, all Orthodox Christian believers, believe that God in His essential presence is always everywhere present. He's omniscient. He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. That's the one I was looking for. Omnipresent. And then you have the manifest presence of God. And you see this in the Scripture when God chooses sovereignly to show up in a special way or to display His glory. Now, He's everywhere present, but He's not always displaying His glory. In, in some ways, He's displaying His glory all the time, but He's not always manifesting all of His glories and graces continuously. And when He does, this is called the manifest presence of God. And this is something that will make us really, really hungry and really thirsty. Many examples in the Bible I could give you about Isaiah in chapter 6. Saw the Lord high and lifted up in the temple. And robe of his uh, train filled the temple. And, and he was uh, convicted of his sin. And God touched his, the angels touched his lips and, and then sent him forth. You know the story. And there was Moses in, in the passage in Exodus and seeing the glory of God. And actually seeking God's presence and, and saying, if God says, I'll go with you. And he says, uh, then we're not going without you, which was a great thing to say. We're, we're not going anywhere without you. We're just staying here until you say go. And we're not going anywhere without you. And in Acts, in the upper room, they waited and didn't go anywhere, do anything. No evangelistic campaign, no starting, nothing. And they just prayed until God came. But God was already there, but He came. So which was it? He manifested His presence in a powerful reality that we still talk about with great enthusiasm. He answered, He, he fulfilled His 
Old Testament promise to come in special power in the person of the Holy Spirit and baptize every believer at that time. What a manifestation of the presence of God. So God shows up and now people get saved like in big sweeping numbers, not in little trickles of half of them are not true converts and some of them we torqued into, you know, talking them into you can't get them in the baptistry but they're saved and, you know, and they, they, they're, they say they're saved but they're, they're full of the world and they, they really don't know God and they really don't love God but they say they're saved. That's not what we're talking about. When God manifests Himself, saved people are saved. Interesting. Boy, shouldn't every Christian just long for this and hunger for this? Acts 3 and 19, Repent, therefore, be converted, that your sins will be blotted out, and the times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord. Habakkuk 2 and verse 20, But the Lord is in His holy temple, let all the world keep silence and form. There's a time when God is going to manifest Himself. You have the manifest presence of God when He sovereignly chooses to show up in a special way. But then you have what the Scripture, what, what in classical theology they call the cultivated presence of God. And the Scriptures talk about this. For instance, in Second Chronicles uh, there, as we were there uh, last week, the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, son of Obed. So this guy comes kind of out of nowhere. He went out to meet Asa the king. He said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. So in a way, it's like the manifest presence of God is when God just shows up sovereignly. And the cultivated presence is when God stirs people up to seek him. And then they seek him, and then he shows up. I'm not sure I understand all of it. All I know is, when you see the Word of God, you have passages like this in James chapter 4 and verse 8. What does he say? If you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. But I think he's already present. So there must be a special sense or essence in which God is going to manifest self, himself to people who draw near. So in other words, you're in your home and then you're arguing and you're, free and you're sad because everything you heard in the Sunday morning message you violated before 2 o'clock on Sunday afternoon, and you're going, God, what are we going to do? It's like then you draw near to God. And you say, kids, come on, let's get in the living room here. Let's just circle up here, and let's ask God to come here. Well, God is already there, but you want God this place. We welcome you to come. We need you to come here. We, we beg you to come here. Show up here. Let my kids see that you're God. Let me let them see that you are real. Let them fear you and tremble at your name. Let them love your word. Not because we talked them into it, but because you showed up. You can call it. Like, we draw near to God. He draws near to us. And there will be a time, and this is a sweet thing, and you can see it in a lot of places. You get Revelation 19, the unveiled presence of the Lord. This will be the time when He displays His glory in His second coming and power and great glory. And He's showing up then. He's showing up in, in a, a, uh, a beautiful and powerful way to unveil His glory to every eye. Every eye will see Him. Even those who pierced Him. Revelation 1.7. Isn't that interesting? Is that, kind of, is, that, is that like an appetizer for you to seek the Lord? You with me? So you think, I see this. I see this now. God, we know, is everywhere present all the time. God, we know that sovereignly through history and probably somewhere on earth all the time is manifesting Himself in a special outpouring. And people are crowding churches tonight somewhere in the world because God is showing up there in manifested presence. It's pretty cool. We think we're all that. It's probably not true. Probably somewhere in Africa today, there's something going on that you and I should just step back in awe and say, I've never seen anything like that. 
I don't dare talk. I just stand and watch. That's what we ought to hunger for. And so my heart's been stirred. I've been thinking, wouldn't it be neat if we had a, people starting to pray? I'm not saying just Wednesday night. I know we've got a wine. We're doing all kinds of other good things. It's not the Wednesday night prayer meeting. I'm not driving at that. What, what, if God, what if God's people started saying, hey, I'm hungry for that. We need that. We need God. We're desperate for God. Let's get together and pray. What if ladies in the church, not, not to talk about other people, but to pray, they got together, you know, and they prayed. And they thought, what if men, you know, met early and just maybe a couple of guys, let's get together. Let's just talk to the Lord. You know, I'm a talker, so sometimes people meet with me and I'm going to tell them all my ideas about how to solve their problems. And every once in a while, the Lord just kind of whispers in my ear and says, shut up. Pray. You don't have, you're not so smart. You know, you're not going to solve this because you're so smart. Get on your knees. Stop talking and pray. I hear that from the Lord. Just pray. Isn't that something? I, wouldn't it, be, wouldn't it be sweet if, if God began to do this in, in a movement in our own church? And, and, and you know, in the Hebrides revival, they say this is how they think it began. Now, the Hebrides is a fascinating place. Uh, the Isle of Lewis is a fascinating place. You, you should kind of take a look sometime at was it computer and, and just even today. But it's a cluster of islands off the west coast of, of England and in the Isle of Lewis there. There were the, this, these widows. I, I've talked to you about them before. Uh, Christine? And Peggy Smith, 82 and 85. I don't know who is what. One was blind. The other crippled with arthritis. And they prayed. This is how it happened. They, they got on their knees at 10 o'clock at night on a Tuesday night, and they would pray till two or, uh, 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. And here's why they prayed. They prayed because the church there had no young people. It had gotten so dark there, in this particular parish, uh, Barvis was the name of the parish. It had gotten so dark, there were no young people left in the church. So they prayed. Some of you aren't going to know what to do with this, but this is the story. They had a vision. The vision was like this. The church was full of young people. And there was a new pastor in the pulpit, a strange pastor in the pulpit. Somebody they didn't know, hadn't seen before. So they called on their parish minister, their pastor. He came over. He was a godly man. And he knew they were godly women. And they said, we have some direction for you. <laughs> and so he said, all right. He's a godly man. He listened to them. They said, we, 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 what we see in it, we, God, we believe, gave us a, a vision. And we see the church full of young people. But there's a strange person in the pulpit. So we think that you ought to go seek out who God would have come for... Actually, they said, first of all, we think you ought to gather with the leaders of the church and pray. And if you'll pray, we'll pray with you. And, and perhaps you should seek out someone that would come and, and would, would aid you in, in this. And there were, I believe, seven, the praying men of Barbas. Seven men that joined the pastor Tuesday nights and Friday nights from 10 o'clock at night till 3 o'clock or 4 o'clock in the morning. And they met in a barn... And they prayed. There was a young deacon. I think his name was John. There was a young deacon who had an unusual prayer life. And the, the, the widows, they claimed Isaiah 44. I will pour water on those who are thirsty and floods upon dry ground. I will pour water upon your children. Your, son, your sons and daughters will spring up like willows by the watercourses. It's a story about... It's a prophecy of spiritual vitality to young people for Israel. And they just borrowed that promise and they claimed that promise before the Lord. 
And the men that met claimed that promise before the Lord. And they were praying through the night. And one night, this young deacon named John, who had an unusual, an unusual uh, fellowship with the Lord, began to, to pray this prayer as to claim this prayer and, and actually say to God, you promised that you would do this and we are claiming this promise and, and, and we're, we're not going away till you give us this promise. And God then began to, to stir. They asked uh, a man uh, from Scotland who was a well-known uh, man to come and, and to be the revivalist uh, or uh, uh, to come and visit for special meetings or special emphasis. And he was unable to come, and he, he suggested Duncan Campbell. And Duncan Campbell agreed to come for 10 days. It took him 10 days from the time they called him to get away from his responsibilities in school. And he got there, and he was supposed to be there for 10 days. I won't tell you all the stories. You've got to read this account. Listen, you can get on the Internet. You can listen to this account yourself. It's beautiful. It's with this Scottish brogue, and it's a beautiful stories that will stir your soul for God. God, God began to move in such a way that Hundreds of people got saved in one in one parish. One pastor said of our young people, 122 young people got saved. And many years later, there were only I think only three of them that had been false uh, professions. 122 young people, and this is a, a whole island of, of population of about 25,000. There were there were there was a movement of God throughout the whole island. Eventually, it, it was so intense that they would have prayer meetings every day at noon. The night before they'd have meetings and the churches would fill up with people spontaneously. Sometimes the fields would fill up with pe- a field would fill up with people, hundreds of people spontaneously, no promotion whatsoever. They would just they would they, they, it was common they'd be in a meeting and a messenger would come in and they would say, Such and such a church over here is full and they're waiting for you to come and visit with them and they'd go over there and the people would just be singing and the church would be full and it would be ten or eleven or twelve or two or three in the morning. And there would be hundreds of people in the church. There's no human explanation for it. The police station next to Peggy and Christine Smith's house, one night they were called to the police station. They said, what's wrong? Nothing. It's just that some people are getting saved and the crowds are coming in. And they're literally crowded into the police station. And the pastors came and he said there was no preaching needed. People were already just getting saved and confessing their sin. And so they just got in on that. It's a fascinating story to read. There was a captain from Lewis that, that was an unbeliever. He was a, a sea captain, and during a specific time they were praying for him, he got saved in his cabin. And later on, when they correlated the stories, they realized he, he got, God visited him and saved him when they were praying for him. There were lobstermen, godless lobstermen, that were working in the night, and the Spirit of God came on them, and they came in from their work, and by morning they were saved. This, this, uh, this making anybody hungry for God, thirsty for God to do something like that in your family, your own life, and this... In this area, wouldn't that, be, wouldn't that be something? There's a four teenage girls got saved the next day in one of these meetings, this convention kind of out in the out in the uh, field. They called Duncan Campbell, and he came. When he got there, there was a a, a well-known secondary schoolmaster on the ground praying, and he was surrounded by these girls from the school who had gotten saved the night before, and they were shouting out to God, "Do for him what you did for us last night, save him!" And he was calling out to God for mercy. And was saved. Duncan Campbell said three quarters of the people who got saved got saved before they ever came near the church. By the time they got to church, they were already saved. And interesting. I could go on and on with these stories. They're just so beautiful. There was one parish, Arnold, that was in bitter opposition because they misunderstood his message and they thought he was doctrinally off. 
And so it was a very cold and nothing was happening. But that God eventually broke down that. And then those churches filled up and people got saved. And even the hard-hearted, you know, the, the pastors that were kind of in opposition because they misunderstood his doctrine, even they, their hearts melted and they, they got in on the revival. Why do I say all this stuff? I, I say it so that, so that we, will be, we will be hungry for God. And so that we will cultivate the presence of God in our own lives. And so we, like, as families and as a church could start saying, hey, let's, let's get together to pray more. And let's confess our sin. And let's just be honest and open before the Lord. And let's be open about our, our sin. Begin to confess our sin. And, and let's um, set aside other things because we're hungry for God, not because somebody browbeat us into it, but because we're hungry for God. And get hungry for God. And maybe we'd go through our own lives. And I'm not going to say too much because... If the Spirit of God moves upon your heart to do something, you will do it no matter what it costs. And if your pastor badgers you to do it, you'll do it because you're nice, but it won't really be your heart. But if God is speaking to you, and I I trust He will, if God is speaking to you, wouldn't it be something if we had a revival in our church or among the believers in this area and, and, and there was, instead of hearing all the sad stories that we hear one after another about like Christian young people that are addicted to clubbing and stuff like that, or, or dads who have trouble staying awake in church because they don't really love God that much, or moms who are shrill and angry with their family all the time. What if, I'm not being mean, but what if, what if those moms got tender and it was just a miracle and the kids are like, I know there's a God now. And dads started going, kids... I can't tell you how I'm in love with Jesus these days. And the kids are like, what happened to Dad? Not Dad's like got a new set of rules he's going to beat us down with, but like Dad is like loving God like he never did before. And what if every Sunday school teacher couldn't wait to get here to just get the Bible open and those little children that are gathered, those four or five little children around that just started to pour out of what was God was saying to them that week in their own heart. Wouldn't it be something if we didn't, if we had to say, hey, we got a waiting list of Sunday school teachers here. I know you're eager to serve the Lord. Maybe we'll have to start a satellite church or something like that to get you to work because we got more people than we need here in the primary department. It would take revival to do that. Right? And so... Is it okay to ask that? Yes. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. So let's ask Him. And as we approach the Lord's Supper tonight, let's, let's start a hungriness in our soul about God. Let's, oh, I'm going to start asking God for what He already wants to give. God, if you will draw near to those who will draw near to you, we will be the people who draw near to, to you. Let's think about that. Our Father, we now come before these uh, elements that are representative of your body and your blood broken and spilled for us. And we ask you that as we obey you in this and as we delight in you in this and enjoy and celebrate a meal that Christian people back through the centuries have done out of love for you, that, Lord, that you would stir up within us a hunger and a desire to draw near to you and that you would draw near to us. Amen. Paul said, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he given thanks, he broke it. He said, Take ye, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
In the same manner, He also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in My blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of Me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. The first night that Duncan Campbell went to the Isle of Lewis, the pastor picked him up. And he said, it's nine, it's, you know, I know it's late at night, it's 9 o'clock, and I know you're hungry and you haven't slept in a while. So, But if you don't mind, there's a church, and they've gotten together at 9, and they'd like to have you there just for a short meeting. And then after the meeting is over, we'll get you to your quarters and we'll see to it that you're fed. And he said, that would be fine. So uh, they went to the church. And the church had about 300 people in it. Church seated about 800. There were about 300 people there that night. They had a good meeting. The meeting came to a close. A kind of an orderly meeting came to a close. Uh, the deacons, the guys, the, the praying men of Barvis were there. The one that we, the ones we talked about before. They stopped him in the aisle before he left. And they said, let's just pray here. And let's ask God to do what no man can do. And they began to pray. And, and, and the same deacon, the one that before had had in the barn prayer meeting, had called out to God with a special fervency, and God had come and visited him in a special way, began to pray. And when that happened, messengers came in and they said that there were hundreds of people outside the church. And what had happened is there was a dance going on. And this was a, a worldly dance. Worldly people that weren't interested in the things of God were at this dance. And the Spirit of God visited the dance and sent the people to the church. No person did that. God did it. And the kids that, at one time, the young people that wanted to dance wanted to seek God. And the hundreds of people crowded into the church. Now the church is full. 800 people. It's the middle of the night, and there are 800 people in the church. And there were no handbills. There, were no, there was no crafty, like, marketing. It was God that emptied out the dance hall. It was God that emptied out the dance hall. And it was God that filled the church. And there were young people that were saved, a number of whom they tracked that had gone into the ministry as, as a result of that. Another story that, that surfaced in that was interesting to me that along the road, he said, often they'd be walking from one church to another along the road and there'd be people groaning in the ditch praying. They're just like between places they were just seeking the Lord and crying out to God for mercy. In the ditch, two guys were their pipers. And we're talking about bagpipers. This is Scotland. You know, they were on their way to the dance. They were the pipers for the dance and the Spirit of God fell on these guys and they were crying out for mercy by the side of the road to be saved. The preacher comes along. This is not Duncan Campbell, but a local a pastor. Comes along, and he talks to them, and he says, well, where were you headed? They go, we were going to the dance. He goes, let's go. Let's go to the dance. The preacher then goes to the dance with the pipers, and he says, these guys aren't being playing tonight because they got saved. Well, they didn't like that. Everything got really cold and quiet, and everybody was resentful, and they just stared the pastor down. And the pastor says, well, since, we're not, since we don't have pipers, you can't very well dance. Why don't we just sing a hymn tonight? And the young men that were in charge said, well, we're not capable of leading hymns. If you'll lead them, we'll sing with you. And then they began to sing, and God fell on the dance hall. You ever, heard about everything, you ever heard about anything like that happening recently in a dance hall? It's not happening. And all the time that we have emphasis on codes of ways of expressing what we expect, that's not bringing the power of God, you see. There's a place for it, but you understand it's a limited place. Father, bless your people who have come to meet with you tonight. And I pray that you'd stir our hearts to seek you with all of our hearts until you come and meet with us. In Jesus' name, amen.